Hi, this is Tamson Granger. And this is Dan Abbeyhoff. With Tamson and Dan read the paper Thursday. Yeah. January 18th, 2024. Okay. Another big storm on the way. Well, it's not a big storm. Oh, well, but storms. another storm. We just had a storm. We had a storm. There's snow not on huge. The snow but on... here's the kicker. What? It's cold. Yeah. Not as cold as Iowa. But it's cold. But there's snow on the it's ground. It's like in the 20s. Let me go back to this. Snow on the ground. Look no, outside. there's ice on the ground. Uh, whatever it is, it's white. It's white wherever you look. It's uh, it's, it's slippity. It's slippity. <laughs> as Haji would say, it's slippity. And it's a challenge to drive a little bit. Well, it's gotten better, but it's going to get worse tomorrow. Yeah, it's uh, it's tricky. It's winter. So why not snuggle up Yeah, and do a podcast? Do a podcast, right? Okay, so of course we have been out and about since we are intrepid, right? I just hope that yeah. loyal listeners understand yeah. whenever you say something like that, yeah. whenever you say because we're intrepid or because that's the kind of people we are, yeah. it's code for that's exactly not the kind of people we no, are. I, that, okay? That's, that's the way I think it is. I, I, that's how, but that may be how you see yourself. Yeah. But you don't really act that impre- intrepid, we, we, to be honest. Yes, we we went out. Come on, we've been driving all over the place in this weather. So we went to see uh, American Fiction. That's a movie that you've been badgering me that you wanted to see for some time, which is odd because it just opened. But uh, fine, they finally opened and we saw it really the first week that I think Doylestown had it. So we're right there. Yeah, out here in the country. Yeah, yeah. out here in the country. And uh, so, American fiction. Do you want to describe the plot of American fiction? Not really. Okay. Uh, it's a, you know, once again, it's not about the plot. No, okay? it's not about the plot. Here's what I'm going to say. Run, do not walk Yeah. to see this movie. Yeah. So it, It's yeah. a good movie. But, it's but, but, very but, good entertainment. But, All right. So, here's the plot. Tell the people. No, here's here's, the, here's the story. Stop. Stop. You just got to tell enough about the movie so people know which movie we're talking about. Okay? American fiction. I know, but no one knows the title of these movies. You know, it's the movie about the guy who's a black professor and he's kind of subtly... Forced. He's writing these very um, sort of, uh, what would you call scholarly. it? Ambitious, yes. scholarly. Scholarly. Novels, novels based on Greek myth, ancient right. no, not even myths, ancient yeah. Greek works. Yeah. You know, he's reworking the frogs, yeah. he's reworked the Persians, etc. And who wants to read this? No one, right? Okay, no one, not even his colleagues, really. And but then, it's not to say they're not uh, well written and etc. Well, we, we don't know. We, we don't know. We, we don't would never them. know. No, but but he he hits on the idea by total accident. That, uh, as particularly as a black author, perhaps, that he can sort of write uh, some kind of invented, uh, I don't know how to put it, tough guy, street cred, ex-con, you know, using uh, extreme black slang uh, kind of a novel, which is to him is just a lark. You know, he's just making stuff up about... Well, it's pointed out to him that his books are not black enough. Right, so he... He, he says, I don't get it. Yeah. I'm black. These are my books. Right. You know, what's going on? So he, he makes... He writes a book that used to... The so under like the this, influence... But these used to be called black exploitation films. Okay. And this would be a black exploitation book that he writes, if I can use that phrase. And, of course, as things go in the movie business, that becomes a huge hit. And he deals with the controversy... 
and the conflicts that arise from that. But it's much more than that. The movie's much more than that. Yeah. yeah. Much more than that. That's, that's kind of the least in it. That's yeah. kind that's of the, the hook. The framework. But those yeah. are the ads you're going to see. You know which movie it is. Right. That's the movie. Right. And that's not why to see the movie. Right. Okay. This is a movie that I will tell you from the, and I think you might agree with me on this, from the opening credits, from the first scene, and they start showing you the credits with people's names and the way that's done and the music, you say, this is a good movie. I mean, from, from the work, from the jump, you're saying, this is this is bringing me in. These people know what they're doing. I think this this How movie's got it. How did you know it. that? I, I got that feeling. Did you know? Right. No, I didn't I was know. immediately attracted to the movie once it got gone. And uh, I should say, so it starts Jeffrey Wright. And you were dragging your feet the whole time. Right. That's, you, you, I'm intrepid, you but not... I drag my feet. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's Jeffrey Wright, Tracy Ellis Ross, Issa Rae. Sterling Brown is very good as the brother. And it's all written and directed by a fellow named Cord Jefferson. Leslie Uggams? And Leslie Uggams. You leave it out, Leslie Uggams? Yeah, yeah she's not that's the biggest part. But yes, Leslie Uggams. Leslie Uggams. And um, look American to American fiction. Yeah, it, it's, it is funny. It is clever. It's as good a movie we've seen this year easily. It's really good. It's moving. Yeah. You uh, know, you know I, I can't say enough about it. It's, uh, it surprised me. Uh, it's so good. And the funny thing is, you know, as we were talking about it later... Uh, yeah, I think the hook to get people going, and it's based on a book, so it's it's it's, it's not as if the, the director invented this. Is the idea of whether this writer has to stoop to black exploitation, and that becomes sort of a joke. But his conflict is really be, the conflict between writing the popular novel versus writing what he thinks is literature. I mean, so it's a very broad issue, uh, you know. And, and uh, uh, there's but so it's much also going about on in his film. emotional and his emotional and his family. It, 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 it's 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 a super movie. That's it. Yeah. So so I did notice that um, there's an article today about what's going to be nominated for Oscars, and it's there's so many award shows, so many awards going out. You can't even keep straight if you, if you wanted to. Uh, but it turns out uh, this movie and other movies that we've seen are get uh, are in, in the view of the New York Times at least going to get nominated. I mean, this American Fiction is going to get nominated for Best Picture. Jeffrey Wright's going to be nominated. Well, I hope so. For, for Best Actor. Yeah, but, you know, you don't take that for granted. And but, it, but these articles do? They, they, they've got it right here, but I'm not going to list everything. But a lot of movies we've seen, like, you know, uh, like uh, Maestro, like uh, The Holdovers, like Past Lives, uh, or in the view of uh, the person who writes this article for The Times. All going to be nominated. And he's got uh, Giamatti as the favorite to win Best Actor, hmm. which is kind of surprised me. And I should correct something that you wanted me to correct. He has uh, Divine Joy Randolph, who is the uh, woman who played the cafeteria worker right. uh, in The Holdovers, is not only being nominated, but winning mm-hmm. for Best Supporting Actress mm-hmm. from The Holdovers. Uh, and 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 the only competition he sees for uh, Giamatti is um, Bradley Cooper from Maestro. So uh, even though we don't try, I think we tend to want to see the movies that are nominated. Not that we've seen everything. We well, have I was going to say we don't see that many movies, but we've seen some good ones. Yeah, uh, we have. But again, this movie that we just saw is uh, in the mix. Is in the mix, and it should be. Yeah, it should be. I mean, it would be not embarrassing to, to win, have that best picture. He doesn't predict that. Is going to be the case, but uh, it's a really good movie. It's a really good movie. Yeah, I I hope people will see it. You don't know anything about box office or anything. It's very confusing, and the box office stuff, given the advent of streaming, has become so complicated okay. that it's hard to even know. I we haven't seen any real numbers 
that look like they're attracting a lot of people to movie theaters. But I don't think it's been on many screens. And, you know, we it's, by uh, example, I mean, you've been talking about it for weeks and it was, got, only got to our movie theater a week ago. So, you know, they're not showing it. They're not getting box office. Right. But they're clearly somebody's promoting it or I wouldn't know about it. Yes, they're promoting but, it. But, but, but I will say this. It's not silly. It's not preachy. Yeah. It's oh, no. not. Uh, it's clever. It's it's absolutely clever. Uh, well written, well acted, yeah. and worth seeing. It's, you know, we see some artsy fartsy stuff. Yeah, it's not that. You know, and we but, see but some it's, boring but rowing movies. But it's an intelligent movie at the same time. This no, is, we saw uh, an excellent rowing movie. I don't uh, know. Did you see a boring? You must have seen that without me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so um, there was an article in the Times called "Unlike on TV." You don't want to even mention that your boring uh, Roy movie is actually getting people are seeing it. People are seeing it, but you know it's uh, the boys in the boat. But no, it's not going to get nominated for anything. Apparently, uh, yeah, people are seeing it. it's a popular movie. It's one of those deals where the critics don't like it, and Rotten Tomatoes was about fifty percent, and uh, the approval rating of people who see it is ninety seven percent. Yeah, which I sort of thought might happen. Um, so, uh, an article in Times called Unlike on TV, Good Hitman is Hard to Find. That's right. Good Hitman is Hard to Find. Let me read you a paragraph verbatim from the article. And sometimes you don't know when the Times is serious and when they're not. Here's the paragraph. For the average person wanting to engage a hitman, the perils of purchasing such a service are myriad, particularly in cases involving inexperienced killers, many of whom are stymied by basic logistics by keeping quiet about their plans. It's more complicated than it seems, says David Carter, a professor of criminal justice at Michigan State. And sometimes these aren't the brightest people. So it turns out, among other problems that we're all facing in the new year, it's very hard to hire a hitman. Here's what I don't understand about that article. What? They say in the article, only about 50% of murders are solved. Right. All right? So obviously... Good hitmen are hard to find. <laughs> they want to be hard to find. <laughs> they want to be hard to find. That doesn't mean they aren't out well, there. Well, there's a lesson there okay? about statistics. Yeah, but they, apparently, I guess what the article says yeah. is that, you know, if you're in some mafia organization, you have access. Okay? <laughs> but for normal people, you know, bellying up to a bar yeah. and saying, you know, I really need to get rid of my spouse. Do you know anyone is not the key to success no. because the bartender may actually report you to the police. It turns out um, that the but, FBI so for is, the, is their ears to the ground. For the average Joe, yeah. it's hard to find a hitman. Yeah. But I think they must be out there. Okay, well, the, truth- the article is trying to prove that, uh, you know, the um, amazing hitman character is just a fantasy. I have a feeling it's not a fantasy <laughs> because 50% of them are still unsolved. All right. So there's two things. First of all, well, let me go number two, number one. Number two is, yeah, apparently this is, the Times does this in all kinds of contexts. There, there's there's stuff out there like we only see a, a portion of this. We see the tip of the iceberg, but we're going to predict the whole iceberg for you, even though we're only seeing it. They do this all the time. And okay. they're doing it here. Okay. So they say, so we only see a certain amount of murders. We don't see the hitmen arrested. You know, theoretically, there could be a lot of hitmen murders out there, or there could be none, and the answer is none. And how the answer is none, I have no idea. And neither do they. So, yeah, it, it, it's a normal times mistake. But beyond that, um, why are they writing this article? 
Who writes an article says it's tough to get a hitman? Like this is one of the issues we have. Like the price of eggs went up 30% last year and it's tough to get a hitman. What now? I mean, you got to be kidding me. What well, kind of an article yeah, is this? It's somebody who's, uh, you know, obsessed with these kind of movies. Yeah. And there's, these people really exist? Uh, no, maybe not. And yet, uh, well, there are all kinds of problems. But it's all in, in someone's mind. They don't. There's no facts here. And they're saying, you know, when you think about it, Hiring a hitman is really uh, kind of rife with difficulties. These people probably aren't reliable. They're probably criminals. They're probably not trustworthy. They might take your money and never show up and never do the deed. It's a huge headache. That's what they say. Or, again, they could be so professional and so fabulous that you're never going to find them. Yeah. Well, they say you can't be a cheapskate about these things. That's another problem. If you're not going to pay for the right kind of skills... You're not going to get the right kind of skill. So anyway, that's a word of caution. Amen to that. Yeah, a word of caution for the new year. So a few years ago, I think we might have even talked about uh, Lois Kirschenbaum passing away, who was a Metropolitan Opera super fan. Yeah. Okay. Um, And uh, so finally, the details of her estate came out. She passed away in 2021. She was a switchboard operator. Yeah who lived in a rent-controlled apartment uh, in the East Village, all right? She ended up uh, with a $4 million estate, mainly because she took the subway. When did she die? She died in 2021. Well, she's a switchboard operator. Yeah. She stopped working 25 years before. She's, I mean, well, no, she stopped working. She retired in 2004. Who had a switchboard in 2004? The International Rescue Committee, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was asking. You know, what on earth was she doing? I mean, really, for a while, she must have been it's like she was doing something else. Or something I feel like, like she that. must have started out as a switchboard operator. They say the key to her knowledge about, uh, you know, uh, opera was somewhat because she was a switchboard operator. She could call anybody, and yeah. she would, you know, call up various uh, opera stars, etc., and um, you know, and get information. So she was a famous. She was a famous fan. She was legally blind. Yeah. So she uh, watched a lot of uh, uh, performances through big binoculars. She wheeled and dealed and got into uh, um, performances for nothing or next to nothing. She was a stage door fixture um, and, in fact, would go backstage. She she collected all these... uh, um, the uh, autographs and mementos... Mm -hmm of uh, various stars it you know everybody knew about her they you know had uh, um you know they would say you knew you you know, had made it when lois asked for your autograph really? kind of thing mm-hmm. anyway so her bequest was divided between 18 different non-profit organizations now it included um various uh you know cultural organizations, um, New York City Opera, American Ballet, uh, Carnegie Hall, Public Theater, etc. But it also included various nonprofits, you know, having to do uh, with help for the blind, um, Jewish organizations, uh, etc. The one, you know, they all got about, they each got about $200,000 mm-hmm. a piece. 
the one group she didn't leave anything to was the Metropolitan Opera. Mm -hmm. Allegedly, perhaps, because at a certain point, she used to go backstage, mm -hmm. um, you know, and chat everybody up and get the details. She put out a newsletter uh, that had more information about the performances coming up than the Met put out, mm -hmm. okay? Just be, she would collect on her own and uh, collate all the information. And um, at a certain point, uh, the Met banned her from the backstage. Mm -hmm. So the thinking is perhaps she holds a grudge mm -hmm. uh, and uh, didn't give them any money. But anyway, I mean, it is breathtaking. She started out as a fan of the Dodgers, the Brooklyn Dodgers. When they moved mm -hmm. to the West Coast, then she became an opera fan. And uh, in the late it, 1950s. It is, it's, yes, yeah, mm -hmm. uh, exactly. Since like 1957 or something, right. she's been the opera super fan. And, um, but it is, it just tells you, you know, if you live a frugal life, $4 million from being a switchboard operator. Well, maybe she had $5 million to begin with. No, 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 no. Her parents are pretty modest. Yeah, okay. going to, right. So, um, she, I, I'll tell you one thing. She probably uh, she had a good investment advisor, maybe. Ah, or maybe uh, she just knew it on her own. She knew what to do. Right. Just rolled over, rolled it over, rolled it over. Put her money into Microsoft at the beginning and uh, let it ride. Yeah. She right. sounds like she would be Microsoft savvy. Yeah. Good for her. All right, so here's an article called The TV Drama Finally Forces Action on Britain's Post Office Scandal. And the article begins, more than 700 people convicted of a crime they didn't commit. At least four suicides, a woman sent to jail while pregnant, bankruptcies, marriages broken, lives ruined. Uh, In other words, people committed suicide yes, because they were accused of The shocking crimes. details of one of the worst miscarriages of justice in British history. Okay? What is this show about? It's a TV show that started in January that dramatizes the fate of hundreds of people who ran branches of the post office across Britain and who were wrongly accused of theft after a faulty IT system called Horizon created... Horizon, not Horizon. Verizon. I said Horizon. I know. I just wanted to make it clear to right. our loyal listeners. Called Horizon created false shortfalls in their accounting. And apparently, the way it works in Britain, if there's a shortfall in your accounting at the post office, the person who runs that local post office has to make it up. And as a result of that, uh, when all these shortfalls were recorded at all these local post offices, and no one questioned the Horizon IT system, all these post office operators were forced to make it up or risk going to jail. And a lot of them really went bankrupt, lived in their cars, did all kinds of crazy things, or pleaded guilty, even though they knew they had done nothing wrong. Well, they, yeah, uh, but at a certain point, it became um, there were investigations. At a certain point, but way but they were down going the line. nowhere. Yeah, they were going nowhere. Going, yeah, you well, know, and for a long time, the uh, postal department uh, said, you know, the branch managers would say, look. This Horizon thing is crazy, you know. 
the numbers are going up and down for no particular reason. Right. And, uh, you know, the Postal Department would say, no, 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 it's fine. There's nothing wrong yeah. with the software. Forget it. You know, it's your problem. Right. And uh, they denied it for a long time. It took them a while. Right, and come and around to it. Only but recently. Only they, recently they made this TV show. Well, well, no, hold on. Before they made the TV show, yeah. it was determined that, that the thing had screwed up. But it was still slow compensating the people who had wrongly accused and making it public. They were dragging their feet at the post office. Yes. So the show, again, just started a few weeks ago, and they had very modest expectations. But, but apparently three and a half million people dialed it up the first time it was shown, and after a few shows, it was up to 9 million people. It was a tremendously successful show, and it started a huge movement in Great Britain right. to make things right for these people. Right. And and the article focuses on the question of why is it a TV show that suddenly turns on public sentiment here the way it hadn't before, whereas it was sort of public before this, that the Horizon and the post office had screwed up, but there was dragging of feet and nobody really, you know, doing what they should do. As soon as the TV show comes on, boom, it's like a juggernaut. That's the power of television. Uh, they, they explain it here, that, you know, it just didn't register. People didn't get excited about uh, the knowledge that the post office had uh, screwed these people. It was just an intellectual point, whereas the TV sort of humanized it. Uh, made it uh, more of a story that appealed right. on an emotional level to real characters, and suddenly the whole country, country's responding. Yeah, before that, it's just like bureaucratic, governmental, yeah. you know, messing around, right. you know, and uh, then putting a face on it right. and, a, and a, a sympathetic one. So, I mean, that's good and bad that the TV has that kind of yeah, sure. power because yeah. obviously it can manipulate people, right. um, you know, in a way that, uh, you know, doesn't reflect does reality. Does it every day? It does it? Yeah. Every yeah. commercial does it. Oh, well, that's true. That's yeah. true. When, you, when you're crying at the end of a McDonald's commercial, you say to yourself, you know, something, there's something wrong with me. <laughs> right. Uh, right, right. Exactly. But, uh, that's what it is. And the TV is highly aware of it. On the other hand, in this in this case, it seems to be used for, you know, a legitimate purpose. Right. I mean, they took away the lady who was the head of the postal department had some kind of award, award, a citation from the queen. Right, for brilliant people, service. Yeah. yeah. When she retired in 2019. Demanded that they take that back. And they took it back, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. Well, now we're moving into the uh, elderly portion of the podcast. We're going to start with a 70-year-old. Okay. Okay. Tara... Um, I'm going to say Vanderveer, okay, because I don't I don't know her. I don't know anything about her. I just saw the article oh, yeah, in the coach. Times. What Stanford? Yeah, Bas- okay. women's basketball coach, right. right? Yeah, right. And she is about to uh, pass a milestone, break a record of uh, 1,203 wins yeah. uh, in her career over 45 years, mm-hmm. which will break the record of Coach K. Yeah. Uh, over 47 years Um, and her winning percentage was higher than his 82 percent so um, anyway so we you know we like to applaud yeah i'll let you talk about it this doesn't move me as much as it moves you but i'll tell you why Uh, you know it doesn't necessarily i i'm not sure uh, uh in what ways it moves me um you know there's I have to say that winning is not the only thing. Yeah. I know I know the phrase is it is the only thing. 
Yeah. Okay. But um, there's a lot to being a coach. and There's a lot to being a good coach. And uh, those kind of numbers don't necessarily take it all in. I was interested in some of the things that, you know, some of her uh, bits of advice, mm-hmm. some of um, her reflections on what's important. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, she got her most, you know, one of her key lessons was from her father. Mm-hmm saying you got to have the right kind of uh, staff. You can't uh, win the Kentucky Derby on on a donkey. So in staff in terms of people she's working with but also the players itself. You got to recruit right. you know yeah. recruiting is key, having the right kind of people to work together. Um, you have to know how to maximize people's strengths and minimize their weaknesses. Although you might disagree with that. No, what, what, no, why would I? I don't know. Sometimes isn't it uh, better to help people improve their weaknesses or? Well, uh, uh, I don't disagree with that. I mean, I, I, no, I don't disagree with that. Um, she did say you've got to have a good staff. You've got yeah. to have, she has all kinds of people who manage all the techno stuff yeah. in this day and age. Um, you know, uh, recruiting, um, what do you call it? Doing the films, mm-hmm. editing the films, uh, and uh, you know all the sort of uh, administrative uh, nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, she says you need to learn the art of the controlled meltdown. Mm-hmm. So you really, what does that mean? You need to know when to scream for your team, but uh, you need to be in control of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. You know, there's sometimes when you just, and she cites one uh, time when uh, her team went out and was warming up and they just weren't there. And she took them back in the locker room and she gave them holy hell. And uh, as a matter of fact, they won the game. It was the only game that team, I I forget who the opposing team was, but it's the only team, the only game that team lost that year. It would have been Connecticut. No, it wasn't Connecticut. Was Connecticut. I don't think so. Okay. Right. Yeah, um, maybe. But uh, okay. Um. So uh, you know, I you know, I think she had some, uh, and she said you need to take risks, experiment. She watches other teams, see what's working for them. Um. She was very interested in the Princeton defense. She had a team. Um. Shortly after, I guess the NCAA, where that became so popular. Uh, and um, uh, she said uh, she thought that Princeton defense would really work. You know, other things were not working for this team. She put that in, and it worked. You know, she doesn't, you know, use the same thing, strategies yeah, all the okay. time. Uh, so, but what what did you have to say? Nothing. It? I mean, look, I, the thing that puts me off about this, uh, she's obviously a very successful coach, a very good coach, and maybe the best women's coach of all time. To say she's breaking Krzyzewski's record... She's coaching a different sport than Shostakovich. I mean, why are they comparing those two things? It doesn't. It's, it's a completely different thing. They don't play against each other. They play a game that's very different. Their competition is very different. In in women's basketball, it's not unusual to have a team win thirty games. That that's more work in men's basketball. It's a much more competitive environment. It's just different. Why are you saying she's breaking Shostakovich's record? It's silly. Uh, okay. So, so that that puts me off. That, and, uh, I mean, the things you're talking about, you know, I mean, all that makes perfect sense to me. I mean, the best line that I read about coaching you know, is a little bit more high concept that I read recently. And, and this has to do with coaching, but it has to do with life also. And, and that is this, that uh, the important thing 
um, is you to have an intent to win. You have an intent to win. I mean, there's no point in doing it. It's kind of boring otherwise. But even juxtaposed with that intent to win, you have to be open to surprise. And that's it's to be able to combine those two approaches that makes a successful athlete a highly motivated intent to win and at the same time being open to surprise. And it's hard to combine those things because there's a tremendous tension between them, but that's the magic combination. That's, that's my I don't view. understand that at all. Because if you have an intent to win and you have a view, with so therefore we're going to win, it should go this way, I'm going to do this, they're going to do that, we've got this set up, this is how we're going to do in the third quarter, et cetera, et cetera. If you march it all out and you have certain clear expectations – Inevitably, those expectations are not going to be met because that's not the way games roll out. Things happen. Things happen that are totally unexpected. You miss shots you thought you'd make. They make shots you thought they'd miss. Whatever it is, referee makes a bad call. And that derails a lot of athletes because they become frustrated and interferes with their performance. You have to keep that highly motivated intent to win and belief in yourself and at the same time be open to surprise in the sense that something happened that wasn't according to plan. I can deal with that. I can live with that. I can respond to that. Because in a sense, that's part of my expectation, that there'll be surprise. Well, who, where did you learn this? I, that's a long story. I can come back to that. It's from a okay. book. Um, because uh, obviously the Eagles did not hear about this. They, no, the Eagles didn't. And, and you mentioned the Eagles, and there's a, that's a good illustration of people who fail to have that perspective. As soon as things, so this past weekend, yeah, as soon as things went off well, this past weekend, they got killed. But but, but, but by by, by Tampa Bay Buccaneers, even though they were favored and they were a tremendously strong team just a few weeks ago, and now they went into the crapper. The point is, as soon as things started going off the rails, it spiraled for them. Because it was frustration, uh, which led to confusion, which led to seeming lack of effort, lack of commitment, uh, non-commitment in terms of following through with, with whatever plans they had. They were just in outer space. That's a perfect example of, of not understanding the other side of the coin, not being able to deal with the unexpected, uh, which the great athletes can. And was this a coaching responsibility, do you think? Uh, yes. But but it, but it's but it's not as easy as saying it to people, right? Okay, it's a matter of instilling it in people, and and right. maybe the Stanford coach is good at that, and maybe she's not. I mean, look, she's not in a terribly competitive league on the West Coast in Stanford. Honestly, she's only she's always going to win eighty percent of her games in a bad year and ninety ninety five percent in a good year. But I do think she's a good coach. I do. You no know, one's a coach for that long in a program unless they're a good coach. So, and frankly, it's not so hard to come to come. Uh, Recruited Stanford, it's a pretty good school, right? Don't we think that? So there you right. go. Um, all right. So uh, there was a, an article in the um, Wall Street Journal, uh, a couple of book reviews, really, both books being about Albert Einstein. With a very cute picture. Yes, a very cute picture. Of him in 1905. I don't know how old suit. he was then, but he, uh, he looks like he's uh, 34. Uh, yeah, I don't know. They don't say when he was born. I can't say I really know. But uh, that's a good guess. Uh, in any event... Uh, you think of him as just, you know, the classic uh, elderly guy with the crazy gray hair. Yeah, well, that's when but, he was elderly. Uh, you know, he's got a snappy suit on. Yes. Uh, so the first book is about Einstein as a personality. 
And as they say here, here is Einstein, the engineer, patenting a unique refrigerator design and a hearing aid. And he's building a miniature cable car out of matchboxes for his young son. Uh, it's a bunch of 99 vignettes which show him as a complex person, a curious child, a rebellious student, a serial adulterer, a wily prankster, a loyal friend, a civil rights defender, and an intellect unsurpassed in his time. And there are a lot of funny stories about Einstein in here, and a lot of serious stories. Uh, funny stories about him sort of, uh, oh, they have his correspondence with a friend, in which he says to him, this is a quote from Einstein, So what are you up to, you frozen whale? You smoked, dried, canned piece of soul, or whatever else I would like to hurl at your head? I mean, it's a... It's a it's that German sense of humor. Yeah, huh? the Germans aren't famous for the sense of humor. Probably lost something in the translation. But uh, he's uh, considered kind of, a, kind of a clever guy, and it's hard to keep him down as a prankster. Friends with Charlie Chaplin, Mary Pickford, Douglas Fairbanks. At the same time, they have a story about uh, him hosting Marian Anderson, who came to give a concert in 1937 at Princeton, and no hotel would put her up. Because they didn't have black guests, and he opened her uh, his home to her. Wow! And he said, "Whenever you're in town, you stay with me." Um. What, so, what book is that? That one's called Einstein in Time and Space by Samuel Graydon, and the second book is called The Einsteinian Einsteinian Revolution by Hannah Gutren and Hergen Wren. And that's a little more scientific, and a little more serious, and frankly, a little more questionable in my view. But they have an interesting theory. They say, look, everyone says that Einstein invented things out of whole cloth, uh, and that is consistent with the uh, history and philosophy of science as popularized by Thomas Kuhn. You remember that from undergraduate days. And they said, but that's not what he did. In fact, there were, at that point in time, when he was in his heyday in the early 1900s, uh, he was the master of several different sciences, which were really key at the, that time, and uh, physics, uh, mechanics, thermodynamics, and electromagnetism. Well, I, I'd say the, these are all mechanics, thermodynamics, and electromagnetism being uh, part of physics. Um, in any event, because he was master in all three and there were developments in all three, he was able to weave these theories together, and that's responsible or is coming up with his great theories, because he was the master of these various uh, somewhat related uh, disciplines. So uh, so that one's a little more technical, but uh, and more in line with the way we think about Einstein, frankly. But in any event... So it might be fun to read Einstein in Time yeah, and I'm Space. Yeah, I'm with you. I think the first one. Einstein in Time and Space by Samuel Grain. And again, it's 99 vignettes. Each vignette is three pages long. I could do that. Yeah. All right, we'll do that. When's your birthday? <laughs> I know what it is. Okay. <laughs> done. Consider it done. I'm trying hard to forget birthdays at this point. All right. I think. Sorry. Sorry. I, listen, I got you beat in that department. So, <laughs> you know, no sympathy for me. All right. So, you have the final story, which you've been able to see, and I haven't. Well, Sadie sent us this right. from the Washington Post. Yeah. Um, and uh, about 93 year old Richard Morgan. Okay. In Ireland. Yeah. World champion. In, um, what do you call the rowing? Sculling? I mean, no, 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 no. rowing, you know, in the, you know. Ergon? On on the erg, on the erg, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, they're doing studies on him because, uh. Well, I should tell you, they have a competition called the Crash Bee Sprints. Yes, they have a picture of him in that. Okay, so, and, and 
People are lined up in all these ergometers. He's, he's in the like 90 50. to 94 class. Well, who is, are, is anyone competing with him? <laughs> there must be, because he's only 93, so there must have been a 94-year-old. Oh, or wouldn't okay. be the Not too many. 90 to 94. I did see the photo. There seemed to be someone sitting next to him. So, but that that could be an eighty-eight year old. Yeah, category. yeah, that could be somebody a totally different. Yeah, uh, but in any event, he's setting records for the ninety plus. Right, um, and he's he's won it many times. He likes he likes winning. Anyway, so they're doing studies about him because people are trying to understand how aging works yeah. and how the body, you know, what is uh, you know inevitable and what is not, and they like this guy. Yeah. Because he didn't start regular exercise till he was seventy-three. Yeah. Okay. So he was like a baker and a battery maker mm-hmm. or something, yeah. and he went to uh, some kind of practice with one of his grandsons, yeah. and uh, the uh, coach let him try one of these machines out, and he was hooked. So he exercises every day, forty minutes a day. Yeah. He does about 30 kilometers a week. Is that a lot? Yeah, I can't figure that out At exactly. 18.5 miles. Right, you keep talking. I'm going to do the math on that. Okay. Um, his he, workout is... Can I just is, stop you one second? Is, is he doing rowing every day? When you say On the, the ergometer. So he's on the ergometer. He's only rowing. Day. He has like an ergometer out in a shed. So seven days a week he's on the ergometer. Yeah. And he's doing 30,000 for the week. 30, kil- 30 yeah. kilometers. Yeah. Okay. I'm with you. Keep talking. Okay. So this is his regimen. His workouts are yeah. not that ridiculous. Yeah. 70% at an easy pace. Yeah. 20% a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. And then 10% all out. Okay. 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 Fine. Twice a week, two or three times a week, he does a little weight training with adjustable dumbbells. Okay. It's like he's been watching you. <laughs> Okay, well, but, but if he's look, if he's rowing, I'm going to say this right now, in front of everybody. If he's rowing every day and he's doing 30 kilometers a week, he's rowing pretty easy, because he's only doing like uh, you know four. What's he doing? Uh, Forty. Yeah, he's doing four thousand kilometers at a shot, uh, and uh, over 40 minutes. That's a pretty slow pace. So, uh, what's the story with this guy? He's got to pick it up. I mean, uh, I'm not impressed by that. He's got to pick it up. All right, I'm just I'm just looking at the article. No, don't worry about right it. now worry to about make sure I'm correct. No, about... it's consistent with what well, you said. If he's rowing easy, he's rowing easy. He's rowing easy. Look, well, we'll, we'll give well, him a pass. Give okay. A pass. Yeah. Um, I don't know about seven days a week. It says every week. Yeah. He rows about thirty kilometers. Yeah. Averaging forty minutes a day. Okay. So yeah. that's that's all I know. Whatever. It okay. Is. But he says himself he's rolling easy most. And yeah. he maintains a high protein diet. Just, okay? just like somewhat just, over yeah. the sixty grams recommended. Right. For a person. You and Sadie, age. You, you and Sadie have me upping my my uh, protein. I'm into protein. Okay. You know they keep saying ah you know you're older you don't need that much protein you know I don't know about that so yeah. maybe I agree with them first of all I don't really. Um, you know, I'm, it's not shocking yeah. that somebody who exercises like 40 minutes a day yeah. rowing, yeah. which is good exercise yeah. and, you know, weightlifting, 
is in great shape. Shape. I guess the excitement is that he can do it. That we can do it. They're excited because he, you know, it's. They're saying it's never too late. Yeah. All right. So to all, start all exercising. Kidding aside, all kidding aside, the deal with rowing is it is a low impact uh, cardiovascular uh, exercise, highly rewarding cardiovascular exercise. It, it's a wonderful exercise. Well, he and, loves it. He yeah. thinks it's fun. Okay. Yeah. I think like the movie, it's boring as hell. Well, okay. okay. All right. I, but I, the, I one it. of the important yeah. points here, they say, is the human body maintains its ability to adapt to exercise at any age. Yeah. It's never too late to start a fitness program. Okay. Okay. But the, I mean, what I would say is, again, I, I say this all the time, you know, it's not about rowing 40 minutes a day, you know, even if you're only 80, not 90. Okay. Yeah. Just, you know. Some exercise will do. And I think every time See, they I, say, I, I would, isn't a guy like this amazing, no, people hear it and say, yes, he's amazing, but I'm not amazing, so forget but it. No, but to me, it, 40 minutes, I'd stick with the 40 minutes. What I'm saying, what I'm hearing from him is, you don't have to kill yourself with a rowing machine. That's what I'm really getting. In other words, he's rowing and he's saying, I'm, I'm rowing, but I'm taking it easy. That's what he says. That, that's what you read. He says, I'm rowing light most of the time. And he's still getting a lot out of the exercise. That's what resonates with me. Okay? So, 40 minutes is no big deal if you're taking it easy on the machine. That's what yes. he's doing. I mean, they, they gave a lot of his uh, personal stats, yeah. you know, his heart rate and so on. He uh, has, you know, the cardiovascular, uh, you know, health of a 30 to 40-year-old. Yeah. Sure. Okay. But I think you can still... I'm glad that you're going to be working out, you know, 40 minutes the rest of your life. Yeah. But uh, not all of us are going to do that. I like to think <laughs> there's some value, yeah. even if you do less than that. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, sure. But listen, you work out plenty. I know you're telling us, you know, you're not into it that much, but you are. Yeah, but no, I'm into uh, exercise, but I don't think it has to be... Killer workouts. Yeah, that, but that's my point. every day of the I, I, week. These guys, All this right. guy's not doing killer workouts. I, and you know, for forty minutes a day at age ninety sounds pretty killer. No, it even no, if it you're at seventy percent, <laughs> if you're at a low. I, this, will, this will give me something to shoot for. All right, great. So uh, we'll gear ourselves up for the snow, and uh, we'll manage. Right. We'll manage, so, and we'll so give you a report next the week. The gist of it manage. is: go see American. Fiction. fiction. Go see American fiction. If you can't get your butt out of the chair, yeah. go see, uh, turn on Astrid. Yes. On the, on the PBS. Yes. Ask, well, we're the only people. Yeah, now you have to explain Astrid. Nobody watches Astrid. I think we've explained it before. It's a police procedural. Procedural. Easy for you to uh, see. Taking, yeah. That's a, by a French, it's a French police show. And uh, the star of the show is a um, person, Astrid, with autism. Well, the, the character, yes. Yes, the star. The, the character. The character. Astrid is, uh, yes, autistic. It focuses on a character. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it's it's just great. It has everything you want mm-hmm. in a French show. <laughs> it has, it has the local s- charming bar. It has the very right. attractive uh, detective lady, yeah. you know. It has the monuments, the sweeping views, the quirky murders taking place in Père Lachaise Cemetery. Um, 
it's it's really quite stunning hmm. and it's subtitles so the whole time you sit there you feel you're understanding french <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's what you feel okay, okay. so uh, until next week this is dan abuhoff and tamson granger with tamson and dan read the paper see you let it snow oh. <laughs>